theyeshiva.net. Okay, today's class is dedicated by Rabbi Cheskel, good friend, in honor of the yard site of Rabbi David Ben Yecheskel Halevi, good friend, the yard site on Tetzvav Cheshvan, the 15th of Cheshvan, Tehei Nishmasei Tzura, but Tzura Chaim, may his memory be an eternal source of blessing and inspiration to you, to the entire family, and to all of the Jewish people. Today's class is also dedicated by one of the members of our class, Liz and Dr. Michael Michelle, our neighbors in Muncie, in loving memory of Rebetz and Sarah Michelle, Sarah Basra Bichil Mechel, who was a survivor of Auschwitz and emerged from the ashes to rebuild an incredible family and was one of the pioneers and pillars of the Muncie community back from the early 1950s in tribute to her 11th yard site on the 23rd day of Cheshvan, to Hei Nishmasa, Tzura B'Tzer HaChayim, and may her memory be an eternal source of blessing and inspiration to the entire family and all of all of our people. Amen. Thank you very, very much. So we're going to begin today's class with learning a medrash on this week's parasha. Parsha told us inside. It's the first source in your source sheets, you could take a source sheet from the Bima on the website on the yeshiva.net. We also have the source sheets posted. As you see, Bereshis Rabba, Parsha Samach Zayin, Gimel. Medrash Rabba is a medrash that exists on all of Chumash. And this is a medrash on Parsha's told us. So it's section 67, section 67, part 3, section 3. Amr Ablevi. Ablevi said, there are six faculties that serve the person. Three are voluntary and three are involuntary. The eye, the ear, and the nose function not necessarily voluntarily, meaning sometimes a person sees what he or she did not want to see. Shama Sometimes you hear what you really didn't want to hear. Meriach And sometimes you smell what you really didn't want to smell. Of course, if I could prepare myself, I could close my eyes. But I can't walk around my whole life closing my eyes, plugging my ears, and uh, with a stuffed nose. So these faculties very often operate, meaning not with my voluntary volition and will. Somebody tells me something, or I hear something going on. So yeah, it would be nice if I had full control, but I don't. Sometimes we see things, we all know it, and I'd say, you know, I wish I wouldn't have seen it, I wish I wouldn't have heard it. A smell, <laughs> not every smell is the most desirable, fragrant smell in the world. Sometimes I smell something, Madaloi But then Reblevi continues, that's concerning the eye, and the nose, and the ears. But then there's hapeh, there's the mouth. And there's the yad, there's the arm, the hand, and the regal, the leg. This is within the control of a person. In the rishus, meaning in the domain, in the volition of a person. In boi, hu If a person so chooses, loi means if I choose, if I want, a person can use the mouth to study, to speak, taira. I boi, if a person desires, lishna bisha. I can use my mouth for, uh, for, for toxic language, for negative language. If a person wants, they can even use their mouth 
for toxic words. Mecharif and Megadif is vulgarity, uh, cursing, negativity. Hayad, the hand, the arm. Iboi, if the person desires, who ovid mitzvasa. person could use the hand to do mitzvahs, to do good things. Iboi, huganav. If a person chooses, I could use my hand to steal, to take something that doesn't belong to me. Viboi, hukatl. A person could hurt somebody else, could kill somebody else with their hand. Haregel, the leg, the foot. Iboi, if a person wants, huazil labate trasiyois, ulabate karsiyois. Interesting words. Person can go to the gladiators, to the circuses, the times of the Medrash. This was under the Roman rule. A major part of, of Roman culture was you went to gladiators, you watched bullfights, you watched slaves fighting animals. These are carcers at all these types of circuses. Even circuses in our days often abused animals, and that's why uh, famous Ringling Brothers, you remember the Chalamoyed trip? Uh, it, was abs- it was almost an obligation, Chalamoyed. You had to go to the circus, everybody with their bananas and their hard-boiled eggs, right? Before anybody allowed macaroons, macaroons into their house. <laughs> you remember when the aluminum foil would open? And either you had a polka, a polka or a hard-boiled egg or an orange or an orange. <laughs> peeled, of course peeled. <laughs> it's Pesach. And uh, Mazel Tov. Mazel Tov. And... Uh, so those are circus, even those circuses, what they did with the animals is not so simple. But in the Roman times, karsiyois, the word circus is kraksiyois. These circuses were often cruel places. They were statistic places. But a person can choose for entertainment to go there. Or karsiyois are like theaters. That's where the words come from, Latin. All types of theaters, also often places of immodesty and even violence. Viboy, but if I want, if a person wants, who was a lebateknesias, lebatemedrashos. A person could go to a place of davening and a place of learning. So Reb Levi is saying there's six different faculties. I have my eyes and my nose and my ears. This is Shalai I can't always have control over it. <laughs> there's a bad, there's a certain smell, there's a smell. What am I supposed to do? If you smell, you smell. I heard, I heard. I, 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 I saw, I saw. But my hands, he says, and my legs... And uh, and my mouth, here, nobody can force me say these words. Wherever I am, I'm going to choose what's going to come out of my mouth. This is Birushusai. I choose what to do with my hands. I choose what to do with my feet. But then the Medrash says something that would seem counterintuitive. And when a person has the schus, the merit, Hashem, takes those things that are in your domain, are in your part of your volition, part of your choice, rishus, it's part of my voluntary experience, and transforms it into something that's not in my rishus, that's not in my domain. Hayad, for example, the arm. We have a past story in Malachim, Perik Aleph, Yud Gimel, about Yeravim, Vatimash Yodoy Asher Shalach Olof. As he sent his hand to fetch somebody from the Mizbeach, his hand dried up. His hand became paralyzed. The Navi had to daven for a special cure. Suddenly, it was involuntary movement. I couldn't just move my hand. The mouth. Yitzchak Avinu, Parshas told us. Yaakov Avinu comes in, camouflaged as Esav. He takes the blessings. He leaves, and then Esav comes in with the food that he hunted. And Yitzchak is petrified. Vayecharad Yitzchak. Yitzchak is trembling. 
what happened? Somebody came in with the food and took all the blessings. He said, who did this? Who came and took all the blessings before you came in? And Yitzchak says, Gam baruch He shall be blessed. Yitzchak was terrified. Yitzchak was overwhelmed. Yitzchak was very upset. But he said, Gam baruch This is an example where words came out of the mouth, he says, Shaloi birishusei. It was like the nose, it was like the eyes, it was like the ears. It just came out. Haregel, and sometimes the leg too, and Mishlei. He says, Be careful who you walk with, who you go on a hike with, who you go on a journey with. Because some people's legs just run towards negativity. They just, Yorutsu, almost their legs schlep them there. What is the Medrash teaching us here? What does this mean? If you're Zoycha, we would think the fact that these faculties are, are, are given to my Rishus, that's a beautiful thing. I can choose what comes out of my mouth. I can always choose. We say in the beginning of Shemayin Esther, every time we start Shemayin Esther, the Chazal instituted an extra introduction. Hashem, Adonai Svasai Tiftach, Ufi Yagete Lasecha. Hashem, you should open, open my lips, and my fe, my mouth should be Yagete Lasecha. We'll soon see a deeper explanation of what that means. But a person, I have full control what's going to come out of my mouth. Pet, I can't say, oh, I just said it. <laughs> I said it because I chose to say it. That's a person can be deliberate. Just like when it comes to the internal faculties of a person. A person, there are faculties where a person can choose. I choose what to do with my hands. I choose what to do with my feet. And to say somebody forced me to do this with my hands... I chose to do it. The same is true with my feet. The same is true with my mouth. My eye, my nose, and my ear, the Medrash says, no, but if you're Zoycha, even these are not Birishus. But that would seem not like a schus. That would be a problem. On the contrary. What is the meaning of this Medrash? And the proof is from Yitzchak. Gam Baruchi is a proof that were words that came out of him. Yaakov should be blessed. And this is an example where the mouth is operating involuntarily. So there's a Sfas Emes, the great Hasidic work by the third Gary Rebbe, the Sfas Emes of Yehuda Aryeleib Alter, passed away in 1905 in Shvat, grandson of the Chidushi Harim, the first Gary Rebbe. So his work, Sfas Emes, on Parshas told us of the year Tofre Shlamet Beis, that would be 1872, or actually 1871, the end of 1871. He has an extraordinary insightful commentary not just on the Medrash, but really on the whole story of Yitzchak with Esav and the blessings. So he quotes, the Medrash. The Medrash says, as we just learned, There are limbs that are in the domain of a person. You are in control of them. You're in control. But if a person is Zoycha, the Medrash says, even they are not in your control. Which again seems strange. They remain in the domain of Hashem. The example the Medrash gives is Yitzchak. Even though his perception, his error, he wanted to bless Esav, it wasn't successful. He wanted to. He tried hard to bless Esav. He called them in. He told them what to do. He gave him the details, the expect- what his desire, etc. And he hoped to bless him. But at the end... He didn't. Vuhu al yidei mesiris nefesh be'emes elav yizbarach. The way this happens is through Yitzchak's complete dedication to Hashem. K'ma Yitzchak ba'akeda. 
like Yitzchak by the Akedah, by the binding of Yitzchak. Imkein, so what he wants is that he should not be in his own detached, autonomous domain. And as like we say in Tehillim and Ashrei, Hashem fulfills the desire of Yireyev of those who serve him, those who are in awe of him, those who are reverent of him. So when Yitzchak really wants not to be Bereshus Atzma, he redefines his desire. I want to be in your domain. That's exactly what Hashem does. And therefore, even though he wanted to bless Esav, he thought that was the right thing, he ended up blessing Yaakov. It's true about each person. Based on a person's, accepting on himself or herself, the Malchus Shemayim, the relationship, the kingdom of Hashem, each morning, with a wholesome heart, so that all of the person's desires should be aligned and connected to Hashem's will, you chalifal, every person can achieve this, that the person should never leave the rishus, the, the domain, the property, the authority, the rishus literally means like the property, like a person's rishus hayachet, shouldn't leave the rishus of Hashem at all. And it seems, the Medrash is not just telling you it worked out for Yitzchak. But this is actually the secret behind the story. This is the reason that Hashem did it this way. Why did the blessing come to Yaakov? Through deception. Why? Hashem, who created Yitzchak and inspired Yitzchak, Yitzchak was a Navi, he could have inculcated in Yitzchak the right mindset, the appropriate perspective, that he should want to bless Yaakov. No, it had to come through very mischievous, it's a very complicated story, and our Rivka has to do this, even Rivka herself, it's complicated. Why can't you sit down with your husband? Rivka and Yitzchak, yeah? They didn't meet for the first time then. They were married for almost 90 years at the time. That's Shana uh, Meshach's man, that's... It's... Around 87 years, right? Because Yaakov was 63 years old when, uh, when, uh, when, when he was blessed. You're talking about a marriage that went on for, 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 for decades. Yitzchak was 40 when he married, when he married, uh, when he married Rivka. Rivka's age is not clear in the Chumrits. There's different opinions in the Mepharshim. But they were married for many, close, <laughs> close to a century. So Rivka could have sat with Yitzchak. And explain to Yitzchak, you know, Yitzchak, you're a tzaddik, you're a great man, you're a holy man. But trust me, trust me, mama knows best. Right? In fact, it happened the previous generation. It's not like a new thing. And it happened every generation since. People in this room know, right? The husband decides to do one thing. And then somebody calls him from upstairs and says, I have to talk to you for a moment. You knock some sense, right? If you're smart, you do it in the right way. When I newly got, when I got married, I went to visit. I was at Har Shabbaton in, in Wisconsin, so I was in the front seat with the husband, and my wife was in the back seat with the wife. So we were in a conversation. But I hear this woman tell my wife, she says, "Let me tell you how it works with men. Okay, you, all the important ideas you're going to have to tell him, but the smart thing is make him believe that it came from him, and then everything will be good." <laughs> Ishak Shera, the Baal Shem Tov said, right? She creates, 
She created the Ratzin of her husband. Ay, it says, Oysa, she does. Yeah, he thinks she's doing it. But Oysa, Ratzin, Baila. Anyway, I was talking to him. A few months ago, I mentioned this to my wife. She says, you heard this? This was like 23 years ago. I said, I heard it loud and clear. And I've kept, I've kept quiet since. And the precedent is not a strange one. Avram Avinu didn't want to expel Yishmael. He told Sarah it's the wrong thing. Yishmael is my son. He's staying home. And Hashem told Avram Avinu, Whatever Sarah says, listen, so Rifu could have done the same thing. She could have told Yitzchak, you don't believe me. Ask the Rabbi Nishalayla, I'll tell you what he told uh, your father. <laughs> Whatever Rifka says, you listen. As Rashi says, that the Imais were superior to the Aves Benevias. When it came to prophecy and sensing the divine will, the Aves needed to be students of the Imais, Rashi says. So Rifka is the same thing, but Rifka doesn't do this. Somehow Rifka understood that this whole process has to happen unconsciously from Yitzchak's perspective. Why? Isn't it better if Yitzchak is involved, if it's Geshmak, he calls in Yaakov, he says, let me give you a bracha, Yaakov goes to the mikveh, Yaakov puts on his gartel, Yaakov says the whole tillim three times, yeah? Yaakov goes to Davin, he learns for a few hours, then he comes in to get the brachas, a Geshmak. No, it had to happen in such a roundabout and really very mischievous fashion. The Medrash gives insight to this. Why? It was a different type of blessing. Because Yitzchak did not decide to do this, actually he decided to do something else. So the blessing came actually by his entire desire being sublimated and aligned with Hashem's desire. A person who blesses his child. Even the biggest tzaddik. It's ultimately limited by the natural bias of the fact, I am blessing my child who I am biologically connected to. Here, actually, Yitzchak's desire was not to bless Yaakov. Ooh, so why did he bless Yaakov? So this was Hashem's desire. As the Zoyer says, Hashem wanted that the blessing should come directly from Hashem, not obstructed, not even compromised or diluted through a human being's initiative. This is what the Medrash means. What is he saying here? One of the, the most natural human emotions and desires is, I want to have control. I like having control. There are levels. There are people, we call them control freaks. We all know what that means. But even if I'm not a control freak... <laughs> I'm not freaked out about having control. I want to have control. We like to be able to see where things are going. It's called predictability. When things are predictable, I can prepare for it. I can orchestrate my next move. I know what's coming. I can initiate. I can plan. And in many areas of life, that's a blessing. It's called being a masudah, being organized. It's not a mitzvah to experience chaos at every single moment. There are levels. I told you once, my wife has a friend. She told me when she saw me packing the first time after our marriage, she said, I have a friend. I was in their house once and they were traveling somewhere two weeks later and they did what's called practice packing. I never heard about practice packing. What's practice packing? Two weeks before you travel, you practice. You take out the suitcases and you put in everything as though you're traveling. I said, what's the purpose? 
to make sure that everything fits in the suitcase. If not, you have to recalculate the entire journey. Do we buy another suitcase? Do we uh, take one pair of shoes less? Whatever it is, you have to recalculate. And then two days before the actual trip, you do what's called real packing. Like in camp, they sing the songs twice, you know, one for practice and then one for points, actual points. And she said, with you, I see, in the taxi, you're still packing. Some people are the opposite. Okay, so you have a good balance, a different balance. But generally, we love to be in control. Some people more than others. But the concept of control is, in Hebrew, it's called shlita. I want to have shlita. I want to be able to survey. And essentially, the story of mankind is trying to control the universe, trying to control life. And in many ways, humankind has been extremely successful. It's why Corona came as such a shock. Because in 2020, March 2020, you remember? (laughs) We won't forget it so fast, right? In March 2020, at that point, science made everybody believe that we basically almost control everything. Just a little while before that, there was a big scientist, a historian, actually an Israeli fellow, who wrote a book called Homos Deus, which means man has become God. Homos Deus. And in the book he says, in a few decades we're going to double the span of people's lives. Just as we doubled it in the last century, it's going to get doubled again. People are going to live until 150, 160. And at some point they were predicting, scientists will be able to guarantee eternal life. At the age of 90, you're going to come in for a tune-up, and basically the cells will be refreshed, Right? It means also your in-laws live till 150. Everybody lives till 150. It also means if you retire at 65, if you retire at 65, you have 100 years to figure out what to do. Right? But there's a certain feeling, right, after a person reaches the moon. Man has reached the moon in 1969. (laughs) A small step for man, a giant step for mankind. Man has already reached, we have now pictures from galaxies 4.6 billion light years away. There's very little to master, or so it seems. And that's why in March 2020, everybody was shocked by the fact that the medical community knew simply what, knew nothing about what to do. And, and in the last few years, the trust in the medical community has sadly deteriorated. People used to trust doctors, at least, not that they don't make mistakes, but at least that they're objective. And today that's gone, at least in many people's minds, at least for many doctors, excluding some doctors, of course. Those who come to our class. Huh? You do agree with me. And this is a doctor talking, so. Yes, it's a whole different world. It's like, what? who did you vote for? Since when do you have to know who your doctor voted for? Is that really relevant to the prescription? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. (laughs) But it did demonstrate something very, very uh, vulnerable in the human being. So the question is, is it good to have control over life or not? The Medrash is talking in a very humble fashion. The mouth, you have control over. The hands, you have control over. The feet, you have control over. The eyes, the ears, the nose, not. But he says if a person is zoicha, they lose control over everything. But why is that a good thing? Losing control, on the contrary. When a person sometimes reaches a place of ill health and they don't have control and people have to take care of them, we don't see it as a, as a praiseworthy development. But the Svasemis is saying, what the Medrash is saying is something much, much deeper. There's two different areas of life. 
Of course, a person wants to be able to have control on their physical faculties, on their ability to function Be'ezir Hashem, La'arichis Yom HaVashanam Toivus, on the ability to be able to operate in the most successful way physically and emotionally and psychologically and spiritually and energetically. And that's, that's a great blessing. The schus that the Medrash is talking about is something much, much deeper. And that is the ability to be able not to limit my life based on my control needs and based on my expectations. Because control comes always with a price. And the price is that when I'm in control of my life, my life becomes reduced to whatever my imagination or my ego or my insecurity allow for me to create. They say two people fail in life. Those who don't have a plan and those who stick to their plan. A person who doesn't have a plan will fail. But a person who sticks to their plan may become paralyzed by the plan. Sometimes I have to be able to take the plan, tear it into shreds and say, scratch this. Why? Because if I stick, there were great, great companies, yeah, IKEA, AOL, great companies. Kodak, you remember Kodak? A Kodak moment? Allah shalom, right? If you don't recognize that there's a change, there's a change in history, and you remain stuck, this is how we do things. <laughs> this is how we do things. What happens is I don't allow myself to be flexible, to be flexible to the opportunities that Hashem is sending me, to the unique mission that I need to be able to embrace today. So even though I want to be able to control my day, I want to know what I'm doing at 8 in the morning, at 9 in the morning, at 10 in the morning, 11 in the morning, we all have calendars and we put in the things in the calendars and a person should try to be organized. But what happens when that need for control also doesn't allow me to go in the flow, to be present in the now? Everything is so orchestrated to an umf degree, to an mth degree that if something, God forbid... <laughs> interferes with my schedule, I disintegrate. Now that's in terms of schedule. What about the larger issues in life? Things like relationships, things like how children turn out, things like different events and experiences where life takes us, various situations that occur to us emotionally, internally, externally, in our own lives or in our loved ones. We want control, and it's great to have control. But very often in that need for control, I lose touch with the moment's call, with the energy that is being created right now at this moment that invites me into a relationship with what is needed right now. And very often, control becomes just another word for deep, deep fear and deep insecurity and sometimes a very deep and profound ego, which comes from deep insecurity, where I simply cannot let go let go of my expectations, let go of my vision of how I see reality having to unfold, let go of my definition of what is the right thing for my life. And then what happens is, I'm in a continuous conflict with reality. And when I'm in continuous conflict with reality, I either become very resentful, judgmental, even angry and vengeful, or it's too painful, so I may retreat and detach a little bit, and I sometimes just go into my own world, or go into the clouds, I hover over life, I can't be present in life, because there's too many disappointments. 
It's expressed in so many different ways, depends on a person's coping mechanism. But I live in the world of coping mechanisms, rather in a world of expansiveness and embracing reality. This is the schus the Medrash is talking about. The schus is that a person opens themselves up to say that as much control I want to have to be able to figure out my day and figure out my life, etc. What Yitzchak Avinu, what happened at the Akedah by Yitzchak Avinu was that he said ultimately, I'm completely fine not to be in control. I'm completely fine to be present in whatever reality Hashem is bringing into my life now to embrace it and to be present and to seize the moment and to utilize it in the best way possible. So he says, when the Medrash says that Yitzchak Avinu had the schus to do this, the Svasemma says it's true about every person. Yitzchak did it by the Akedah, but every person every morning has to be able to ask themselves this question. What type of day do I want? Do I want a day in which I'm going to be stuck in what things are supposed to look like based on my to-do list? And if my to-do list is not working out because somebody that you're connected to maybe woke up with a different uh, mindset and now there's a clash of reality and it becomes very, very difficult to adjust. So in the morning a person says, am I ready? to be able to liberate my desires and align them with Hashem's desire, what Yitzchak Avinu did throughout his or her entire life. And if this is the case, he says, this explains what happened with Yitzchak, why the blessing that he gave Yaakov was a much deeper blessing. If he would have decided to give that blessing, then it's a blessing that's limited to his desire how much he wants to bless his son. And every person, even a father and even a tzaddik who loves their child, But human love ultimately is limited. It's limited based on who I am right now, what I'm feeling right now, what's burning in my heart right now. So he says, even the deepest blessing is ultimately a limited blessing. But when Yitzchak's blessing came, actually, it came from an unconscious place. It came from his alignment with the divine, which is beyond what my brain wraps itself around. So the blessing that came through Yitzchak was a much more infinite, a fuller blessing, because Yitzchak at that moment became a conduit for the divine. So when Yitzchak says, Gam baruch you should be blessed. The Medrash says earlier that Yitzchak really wanted to curse him. There was a part of him that was like, wow, that, <laughs> Yaakov, that's chutzpah what you just did. And then he said, should be blessed. What happened? How did he say, Gam baruch He says, this was Yitzchak suddenly realizing that don't put reality into a box in the box of your expectation. If this is what happened, basically, Hashem wanted Yaakov to get the blessing. And Yitzchak completely opened himself up to that new reality at the moment. And he said, Gam So his mouth, he realized his mouth is also Shalai B'Rishusai. His mouth can also be aligned with Hashem's divine plan. And then he adds something. Gam Nira. There's another point. Certainly, Yitzchak's blessing to Esav was communicated in a way where even when Esav is remote from holiness, he should always be able to find the light of holiness. Yitzchak was a naive. Every father knows their child. You think Yitzchak really didn't know that Esav wasn't a tzaddik? He knew his son. 
But he thought that Esau can always come back close to holiness. So the types of blessings he was giving Esau was a blessing that wherever he is, he should be able to come back. He's never lost. This is what Yaakov took. Forever, for the generations. That as far as somebody is, they can always discover their point of holiness. This is what Esav told Yitzchak. He stole my blessing, mine. Because the blessing really belonged to Esav much more than Yaakov. Yaakov took Esav's blessings. But Yaakov needed it for his descendants. It's similar to what the Zayah says. The Zayah says Yaakov took these blessings and hid them for his descendants because he said, I don't need all these blessings. What's the meaning of this? Yitzchak knew who Esav is. He knew very well who Esav is. Rashi even says that he was surprised how many times he mentioned Hashem's name. He says Esav doesn't mention Hashem's name. It says when Esav married his wives, Yitzchak was very upset Rashi says they were burning incense for idolatry. Yitzchak wasn't deceived by Esav. Esav came to him and said, how you tithe salt? So people think, oh, Yitzchak said, wow, he's a tzaddik. If your child comes to you and says, mommy, how do you tithe salt? I want to give tzaddikah from salt. Parents usually know their child. Certainly Yitzchak knew his child. This Hashemah says, when Yitzchak wanted to bless Esav, it wasn't because he didn't know who Esav is. He was giving a blessing that was tailor-made for Esav. What's the blessing that's tailor-made for Esav? Never ever think you're lost. Never ever think you're stuck in darkness. Never ever think you're just a hopeless Russia. You can always find your core that is pure and pristine and holy. So now when Yaakov takes this blessing, who is he taking it for? Yaakov was holy. Yaakov is taking it for his descendants for eternity. That no matter the circumstances of any person throughout history, this is a blessing that they should always be able to find their inner soul. There's no such a thing you give up on a person. No such a thing you give up on yourself. And that's exactly why it had to happen this way. If Yitzchak was giving the blessings to Yaakov, there would be completely different blessings. It would be blessings from a holy man to a holy man. That's not what he wanted. What Rivka wanted is that Yaakov should get the blessings from a holy man to somebody who's actually not in a holy state. And that's exactly why Yaakov had to dress up like Esav. Rabbi Yitzchak Varka once said, and the Chidusha Harim says... That if Rivka would have told Yitzchak to give the blessings to Yaakov, he would have. But Yaakov would have come in with a Bekesha, with a Streimel, with a Gartel. So who would get the blessings? Yaakov, who looks like Yaakov. But Rivka knew that there's going to be a Jew who's going to be a Yaakov who looks like Esau, who speaks like Esau, who thinks like Esau, who behaves like Esau. Is that Jew also part of the covenant? Or that's a Jew we say, get out. So the Yiddish Mama, the Yiddish Mama understood no person is ever forlorn. You never give up on a child. This the mother understood. I'm not going to tell him to give the blessing to Yaakov. Then the blessing is going to be limited to a person who is fully Yaakov. I want it to be to the person who may experience themselves as Esau. They're dressed like Esau, but inside they're also Yaakov. That's the blessing. So that's why the Zoyar says, Yaakov said, I'm hiding this for my descendants. He himself didn't need this particular blessing. This is Esau's blessing. Esbircha silokach. And yet, it's that unique blessing that Yaakov Avinu stored away for every single person since then. Throughout all of history, Ledoiris, that Rivka initiated, that even if I look at all my garments, and it feels like Esavdik, 
I look at my feelings and my emotions and my sensations. Nonetheless, I should know that that blessing, that flow of light, of energy, of Yitzchak, is present that a person can always, as they say, as far as you may roam, you can always come back home. That there's always that spark. Never, ever, Rivka said, never, ever give up on that spark, on that hope, on that light. It's always present. That was the bracha she wanted Yaakov should get. So this is a second explanation. This is his additional one. The first insight is that the bracha should not come consciously from Yitzchak. Because a bracha that comes consciously is filtered through my consciousness. If I decide to bless you, the blessing is limited based on how much I think I should bless you, how deep is my experience, how deep is my love, and every love is limited. You know what? You're not even going to be conscious at the moment. (laughs) You think you're doing something else completely. So my ego is not involved. My own limitations are not involved. It's a completely different experience. The second explanation is why Yerifka didn't tell him, because the blessing was precisely a blessing that was supposed to go to Esau. It was the blessing to be able to find your godliness, your light, and your Gedusha, even when you're very, very far. That was the blessing to Esau, because Yitzchak knew exactly who Esau is. It was a blessing tailor-made for his son Esau. He believed in his child. That's the blessing that Yaakov took and stored it away forever for all of his descendants. Now we go to the next step which basically takes the first explanation to a deeper space, to a deeper level. You see the next paragraph, where one, two, three, four, the sixth paragraph from the top in the source sheets. Told us Tafri Shlamet Gimel, this is also the Sfasemis of the next year, 1872, where he quotes again, the Medrash, the Medrash says, Yeshe Vodem Shem Adam Yodayim Viraglayim. There are limbs that are in the domain of a person, your hands, your feet. But then there's the eye, there's the nose, there's the ear that is not in your domain, and if you're zoich, nothing is in your domain, as we learned before. This is antithetical to the desire of the Russia, of the person who's misaligned. He wants everything in his domain. In his control. But the person, the tzaddik, who wants that he shouldn't be in his own domain, he shouldn't be in his own property, so to speak, should all be in the domain of Hashem, every person could merit this. And this is what Yitzchak merited. It came from his or her own consciousness that allowed him to bless Yaakov. This is the truth. The truth is, everything is in the domain of Hashem. The only thing is that these limbs, as we said, the hand, the foot, the mouth, the arm, the leg, the mouth, Hashem gave them to the person so that with his desire, he should bring them back to their source. The other parts he didn't give to me. This he gave to me so that I should bring it back to him. This is what it means. It's given to the authority of a person. That the person could bring them back to the source, to Hashem. This is what happens Yitzchak. First he's trembling. He realizes that Yaakov, somebody took the blessings. And what does he say? He should be blessed. 
הידי שהרגל בנף של לבת על כל הרצוינס כרגע עבור רצון השם יזברך, זכה לזה שלא יאמר דבר שלא כרצון הקדוש ברוך הוא. Because he accustomed himself to nullify all of his wills at the moment for the will of Hashem, so therefore he was zoicha, he had the merit not to say anything that is not according to the will of Hashem, and therefore he says, Gam Baruch Yeh, his mouth doesn't say he should be cursed, this is horrible, I'm out of this, get out of here, I'm going to get Yaakov back, whatever, I'm going to be upset at Rivka. He, gets, he should get into a fight with Rivka, right? That would be, you would expect, no? <laughs> you don't see that Yitzchak gets upset at Rivka, it always, it's, Sarah got upset at Avram Avinu, he felt that Hagar was taking over the marriage, Rachel got upset at Yaakov because he felt that she felt that Yaakov didn't pray enough that she should have children. You would think the biggest, the, the, the greatest anger story should be Rivka towards Yitzchak. Because this wasn't just what Yitzchak did in his own... Rivka towards Yitzchak. I'm sorry. sorry. Yitzchak towards Rivka, right? I mean, it, it's 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 it seems very, very exploitive, very manipulative, and Rivka initiated it. And it's not like the Chumash is silent about blunt conversations between the character, between the people in the Chumash. And yet, it doesn't spill over after the story. What happens? What did Yitzchak do with this? So some people think, and they mistake it, that there's no emotions. There's a lot of emotions. The Chumash is... Huh? Well, it looked like she was still up for... She was pretty, pretty... Uh, uh, she was a feisty woman, to put it mildly. And if, if, if she really thought that he's just an old man, why are his blessings so significant? Obviously, Rivka understood that his blessings are somehow significant and historically significant, right? So it's not just, oh, you're talking about old people. And the fact that the Torah records it in Chumash, obviously you're talking about uh, extremely uh, profound blessings here, even on a most literal level. If not, what's the whole, uh, fine, he'll bless him, big deal. Tomorrow you'll come for another blessing. You're talking about a very profound moment. So it's not that Yitzchak didn't feel what's going on. You see how terrified he was when he realized that the blessings were taken away. What happened here? So what the Sfasem is saying here, It's a very profound idea. This was Yitzchak's entire Avoida. Yitzchak's entire Avoida was he learned how to be able to live life in a much deeper way, as he will explain. This is really the main purpose of creation, of a person. The main holiness in a person is not mine. Hashem gave it to me. The main holiness that a person has, the divinity, every person has. You have a soul that's pure, that's given, it's non-negotiable. Where does the human being begin? There's a lavush gashmi. There's the garment, what could become a mask or a lavush, a garment that contains the pnimius, the inner soul. And here's the question. Do I have the courage to be able to heal, to rectify this garment of my personality that it should become aligned with the corner shama or not? The main function of a person's creation is to create that integration, to create that alignment, to realize that there's no bad parts. When Yaakov comes in dressed like Esau, it says Yitzchak smelled the aroma of his clothes 
Why do the clothes become the main story here? Because the real uniqueness here is the garment of a person. The fact that your soul smells good, obviously the soul always smells good. The soul cannot not smell good. The question is the lavush of a person, the spiritual, emotional, psychological garment that contains the soul. What type of aroma does that give off? That's where a person's creativity begins. When Yitzchak smelled the clothes, he blesses him. The Mishnah says, the end of the Mishnayis, there's no vessel that contains blessing but peace. How do you create peace? So there's peace between people, there's peace between cultures and nations, but there's peace inside. How do you create peace? It's very hard. How do you create peace of mind? People want not just a peace of your mind, but they want peace of mind. How do you create peace of mind? So he says, When a person could become aligned to the service of Hashem, then you learn to have one desire. Without this, a person's desires could be saturated with conflict. means from one extreme to another extreme. I want this, but I also want this, but I want this, but I want this. But this is opposite, but I want both. So there is this tension and anxiety that a person is filled with. If you ever get fixed on one detail of life, there'll always be things that will be against your will. And that will create a terrible amount of tension and lack of contentment. But if a person can align their desire with Hashem's will, the person has one desire and it relates to every single thing. Because in everything in life, there is the divine will. And this is what's called having peace. And the keli, for bracha is shalom. And when Yitzchak saw this and smelled this in Yaakov, because he also had this in himself, this became the blessing of Yaakov. Here, he's taking it one step deeper to elaborate what does it mean control versus not control. You could, you see, all of these messages, they're sensitive messages. They can be misread. Sometimes, a person who feels inadequate or feels inept, or if I'm lazy, and usually laziness comes with fear, because if I'm afraid, the best thing to say is not I'm afraid, I'm lazy, I'm not interested. You know, when you look at a teenager, say, I'm not interested, I'm not interested, I'm not. They say, they once asked a Jew, what's the difference between apathy and ignorance? And he said, I don't know and I don't care. You know, often, a sense of carelessness is a sense of despair. If I care, I'm going to get disappointed. If I care, I'm going to become attached to something. If I care, I have to invest. If I just say, I don't care, I don't care, I don't care, it's usually because I care very much, right? Sometimes the people who say, I don't care, it's because they care the most and they have to shut down their caring. You know, you have to look at things always from a deeper place. So sometimes these words of, oh, just give up control, it, it could be a form of cynicism. Uh, you know, you don't do anything in this world and somebody else controls it. Just give up, just, you know, sleep. You become a couch potato. It's the opposite of what he's saying here. So that's why it's so important to be able to understand the message here. This comes from a very profound sense of creativity and courage, not from a sense of apathy and just despair and I surrender to a mediocrity and just everything is hopeless. On the contrary. 
when we look at ourselves, he says, every person, there's so many different agendas that I have in life. And therefore, there's so many disappointments because not everything is feeding in to my agenda, to my desire. So he says, what's the solution for this? The solution for this is, I can't just deny that I have all these desires. I have desires, I have dreams, I have expectations, I have what I want this to look like, I want my house to look this way, I would love each of my children to look a certain way, I would like my grandchildren to look a certain way, I would like my husband to look a certain way. Sometimes some people would like their wives to look a certain way. I want this reality, I want that reality. And he says, people have ritzayinus muhupfachais. I can go from one extreme to another extreme to another extreme. And there's a lot of tension. But it doesn't have to create anxiety. Anxiety comes very often, this is not always the case, but very often anxiety comes when I can't accept all of my emotions. Anxiety comes when I start judging what I'm feeling. Because now, it's not just the pain of what I'm feeling, it's the anxiety over the fact that I have the chutzpah to feel this. And this is when we start arguing with ourselves. You know the internal mental chatter we sometimes talk about. The narrator who exists right here in the brain. Some people it's on this side, some people it's on this side, some people it's all over the place. You'll have to talk to him and ask him where he is. Always has a comment. Always has what to say. Always comments. And very often that commentary is not just the experience of reality. The experience of the experience of reality. To say maybe a reality that's tough. There may be a reality that I'm diff- that it's difficult. That's not anxiety. Anxiety often, not always, but often comes from the fact that I can't accept what's happening in myself. I'm busy arguing with it. I'm busy telling myself how stupid this feeling is. And you know, whenever you have such feelings and you get into arguments with it, they never stop. You'll realize it. Because <laughs> the anxiety just wants the argument to keep on going. <laughs> so you answer it. And then it answers you back. And seven hours later, you're still arguing. And the anxiety always wins because it's not about the argument there and back. It's about the very lack of acceptance of what I'm feeling. But there is a deeper approach. And the deeper approach is when a person can tune into all of their desires and realize there is a oneness in all of them. And what is the oneness in all of them? The oneness in all of them is there is something, there is Hashem's purpose in this experience. And therefore, you don't, have to be afraid, you don't have to be afraid of it. There's something right now in this experience that can make me aware of something. It's part of my reality. And part of my reality means I don't have to amputate it. So suddenly, there is a oneness in a person, because even if I'm now feeling this, and I'm now feeling something else, but there's a common denominator in it. The common denominator in all of it is, I to ask myself, what is my calling now? This feeling opens me up to something. This can be worked with. This should be worked with. And that's the idea where a person doesn't feel the need that I have control. If I live a life where I feel like I have to control everything, anything that goes out of it, I'm now in loss. I lose myself. So what happens? I get angry. I get frustrated. I get judgmental. But if I can embrace everything and bring it in and say, you know what? Wow, that was shocking. Wow, that was new. Wow, I didn't expect that. So now let me open myself up to this reality and ask, what is the calling? What is the message? 
What is it that I want to be aware of? What is it that I have to work through? It's like we spoke some time ago from the Toldos Yaakov Yosef, the idea that each part in a person that comes up throughout the day is really giving you another message about life. Really deep, deep down, there's no bad parts. There's parts that are doing their best in order to survive, to protect you, in order to tell you something, and if I could listen to it, I could find out what is your message, what are you carrying. We're not used to thinking like this, because we often are used to thinking in fragmented ways. These parts get rid of. These parts are bad. These parts are good. These parts are shameful. Don't talk to them. Don't talk about them to anybody, not even about yourself. And now I create anxiety. This is where conflict is created. Why didn't Yitzchak get into a fight with Rivka? Yitzchak was a very, very worked out person. (laughs) He had very deep emotions. Yitzchak allowed the flow of life to vibrate through himself or herself. He made a whole plan. He called in Esav. He told him what to do. I want you to go hunt. I want you to come back to me. Bring me the food I love. I'm going to bless you before I die. When Yaakov came in with the food dressed up like Esav, Yitzchak didn't just bless him. Yitzchak started an investigation. Yitzchak asked him a few times, Are you my son? Yaakov came in and he said, Avi, Yitzchak asked Yaakov, Mi atabni, who are you my son? <laughs> it's funny. He came in and he said, My father. And Yitzchak right away smelled something off. He said, Who are you my son? What? When your son comes in, you don't know who he is? When he told his father Avi, you remember last uh, last year, Avram didn't say, "Who are you?" He said, "Hineni bini." But Yitzchak's response is, "Miata bini." Who are you? Wow! And then he identifies himself as Esav, and then he wants to know again, "Are you Esav or not?" And he says, "Hakol kol Yaakov, something is off." And then he says, "Come close, I need to touch you." And that's not enough. I need to smell you. Yitzchuk is trying very hard to follow the plan. <laughs> he doesn't want to be disturbed from the plan. He's a man who has plans. But then, he gives the bracha to him, thinking he's Esav. And what happens now? Yaakov leaves. Now the real Esav comes in, and he says, I'm ready for the blessing. And Yitzchuk starts trembling. He says, who came before you, hunted the food, brought it in? I ate everything and I blessed him. And then he says three words. Gam baruch yeh. He should be blessed. <laughs> he should be blessed. And he told Esau, I already gave away the blessing. I can't bless you. At the end, he gives Esau his own blessing. How do we understand this? It's not that Yitzchak had no desire, had no plan. He had a plan. But the core of Yitzchak was bittel. What does it mean the core of Yitzchak was bittel? Yitzchak... His deepest avoider was, there's two parts of life. There's parts of life that I have no control over. I don't even think I have control over them. We all know there's parts of life I have no control over. I was now in the airport, right? In the security line. I have control. Yeah, you could get VIP, you pay 500 bucks, and they help you skip all the lines. Okay, so really you have some control over that. So people with a little more money think they have control in the airport too. But even they know there's certain parts of life you have no control. Huh? The weather. the weather. Yeah. Although some people think they have control over the weather too. Yeah. It's called an air condition. You have an air condition. You have a radiator. The deer don't think they have control over the weather. The squirrels don't think. We think. Yeah. 
You buy a better coat, a warm coat, you stay indoors. Actually, in these tents, nobody has control over the weather, that's true. <laughs> it's always construction and so forth. Buildings go up, buildings go down. And, 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 and we're proud of it. We're proud that we have control. A person, chas v'shalom, falls ill. You don't just say, okay, you're ill, that's what God wants. No. We created hospitals. We create medicine, etc. All human life, we create homes. We shelter ourselves in homes. We create clothes. We don't just say, it's cold. Don't get dressed. Hashem doesn't want you to get dressed. The uniqueness of a human being is, we're creative, we're partners. But we all know, everybody knows that despite everything, there's parts of life that I have no control over. People always try to have control over that too. People hope that one day we'll have control over everything. Everything. There'll be nothing outside of our control. Even emotional health, people feel they want to have control over. Right? We're going to talk about psychiatrists for a moment. Psychiatrists in the room will forgive me. But sometimes they feel, okay, you know, take this pill and we'll control your emotions too. Take this pill and we'll control this too. What the Sfasem is, what the Medrash is really telling us here is, it's the exact opposite. The Chiddush of a person is that even that which you have control over, you should give up control over it. Not that you should try to control everything, even that which you don't have control. The opposite. Even that which you have control over, it's a much more real life when you give up control. Why? Because the reason you were given control over these things is not that you should crush them and define them, but that you should be able to choose to be in a relationship with infinity. To be in a relationship with infinity means I have to be open to the mystery of infinity. To be open to the mystery of infinity, I have to be able to let go of what things are supposed to be like, what things are supposed to look like, and then get frustrated and angry and live all day and all my life negotiating and proving that I'm wrong, you're right, you're right, I'm wrong, we're both wrong, we're both right and constantly fighting with my own reality and the reality around me, even if that fight nobody sees because it's internal. What was the Kiddush of Yitzchak? He planned and planned and planned. And then suddenly he realized Yaakov got all of the blessings. And Yitzchak said three words, Gam Baruch What was Yitzchak doing at that moment? He was demonstrating what happened at the Akedah. What happened at Akedah was, that Yitzchak allowed himself or herself, even when he came back to Avram, we discussed in that story, Hashem said, I don't want your, your child up there, I want your child here. But I want you to realize that the love shouldn't be defined by your own limitations. The hineni b'ni, the love should expand to divine love. So at this moment, Yitzchak realized there's two aspects to life. There's the part of life that I plan and I organize and I initiate and I orchestrate and I wrap around with my brain how it's going to be and what it's going to look like. You know, when you make a simcha and you plan everything to the last point, and of course the caterer has his own plans. You know, when you build a house and you tell the contractor exactly what you want it to look like, but of course he decided that the pipe has to go somewhere else. But those are physical things. And then there's emotional and spiritual and psychological things. Yitzchuk was completely open. What is the energy that Hashem is bringing into my life at this moment. What is coming up right now at this moment? Gam Baruch Can you bless that? When Yitzchak was talking to Rivka afterwards, he didn't get stuck in anger. What does anger look like? What is anger about? Anger about is about, really, a sense of pain, 
a sense of loneliness, a sense that I can't trust you. It comes from a sense of alienation. But instead of saying I'm in pain, it's easier to say I'm just angry at you. But what happens at that moment is, Yitzchak is so open to the reality of Hashem, that Yitzchak could really embrace the reality and say, Gam Baruch and enthusiastically feel it and experience it, not because he didn't want to give the blessings to Esau, but because his Ratzon was always attuned to the infinite Ratzon, and therefore in every situation there was a oneness that pervaded his life, and that's what's called inner peace, that's what's called inner Shalem. Because what is the difference between conflict and peace? What does conflict look like, and what does peace look like? Conflict looks like if there's many parts in me pulling me in different directions. There's a part of me that wants to be close to this person. There's a part of me that doesn't want to be close to this person. There's a part of me that loves this person. There's a part of me that hates this person. It's called sweet and sour chicken. There's a part of my emotion that recoils. There's a part of my emotion that gravitates. There's a part of me that's here and there's a part of me that's there. And life is filled with paradoxes. Who doesn't have it? I have different moods and different experiences and different ups and different downs. That's all without shalom. What does shalom mean? Shalom means all those parts are there, but then I ask another question. What is the divine will in each one of these experiences? You'll say, this is a terrible experience. There's no will. He says, that's not true. That's not true. There's a purpose here. There's, there's something here. Can I find out what's the neshama of this? He says, yes, what's his words? Yes, If my life becomes fixed on a detail, something will always oppose it. And that's going to create a new conflict. So I say, this is what I want. Somebody else wants the opposite. And now there's pushback. And now there's conflict. But he says, if instead of zooming in and getting fixed on a specific thing, this is what I want, what if I could say something much deeper? And that is, I want to be able to be in touch with my true and deepest desire, which is dveikus in the Ein Saif. It's oneness with Hashem. That's what the person, that's what the soul really, really, really wants. So now, in whatever comes back to me, instead of fighting me, I stop. No, there's no fight here. I just want to find out. So what is Hashem's desire in this? Where is the opportunity for intimacy, for a relationship with Hashem in this? Now, this is easier said than done because emotionally it becomes extremely difficult. Why does it become extremely difficult? Because I often get stuck in this form of what my desire, what my desire is and how it should take shape. And as he puts it, if my rotsin is in a dover prati, which means if my desire in life gets fixed on an individual form, an individual reality, there's always going to be things that oppose it. And therefore there's going to be a lot of, lot of resistance. So now suddenly you had one plan, somebody else had another plan, that plan interferes with my plan, and sometimes it's very, very emotional, and I feel like, ha, I'm crushed again by life. But what happens if I say, yes, I want this, but what's behind this desire? What is really behind this desire? Is this about my control, or is it about my openness to be really connected with oneness through this desire, to be connected to the truth, which is what everybody's soul really wants. So all the parts of me really, really are a lavush for this. So we have two parts. We have the part of our neshama that Hashem gives us. And then we have the parts 
that Hashem gives us that are under our control. Our neshama, it's His holiness. That's His peace. But then there's my peace. What's my peace? My peace is all the parts that I have to work through. My moods, my personality disorders, my mental stress, my anxiety, my challenges, my dispositions, my characters, the good, the bad, the ugly, the difficult, the easy, the exhilarating, the, those are all my parts. Can I create shalom between all the parts? How do I create peace between all the parts? The first thing I have to recognize, no part is inherently evil and bad and off-limits. That's again the, the previous idea of the Svasemis with the brachas. The blessings were given not to Yaakov, to Esau. Because even the furthest part in you is also blessed. Even the Esau, who Yitzchak knew exactly who he was, also is blessed. Why? Because you can bring it back to holiness. You can bring everything back to holiness. But this is where my Avaida comes in. The fact that I have an idealism in me, that I have a desire for dveikus with Hashem, that's inherent, that's innate, that's non-negotiable. Neshama shenasata bitahiri, that's your gift. But now there's everything else that comes along. All the pieces that I have developed over the years, all of my coping mechanisms, all of my fears, all of my characteristics, all of my personality, which developed. Now the question is, how much will I work through these levushim? To the point that when Yitzchak smells it, he should say, Ah! There's peace. How do you make peace? You make peace by realizing they're not pieces, but that they're pieces of one whole. There's no fragmentation. You don't have to be afraid of any part. You just have to ask, what is the meaning of this peace? Where's the Ratzin Hashem here? Where's the opportunity for awareness here? What is growth here? Now, sometimes those pieces are painful. If I had to develop different coping skills in order to deal with various experiences of life, so I have to be able to process that. But the pain essentially is that I'm feeling scared, I'm feeling detached, I'm feeling alone. I'm feeling that it's under my own control. And this is where control becomes a paralyzing force. You see? Control seems very good, you're in control. But really control has another dimension to it. And that is there's a loneliness there. Imagine the person closest to you in your life says, you know what? You're in charge of your life. I have nothing to do with it. I'm completely disconnected from it. That control we don't want. That's a control where you're detached, you're alone. I throw a person off the cliff and I say, here, you're in control. On the contrary, I feel like I lost my bearings. So when you really tell a person you're completely under your own control without any attachment, it's the worst feeling in the world. It's real loneliness. So he says, what's the schus of a person? To take all that which I feel is under my control and realize... I'm always one with Hashem. There's never a disconnect. All the parts in me that are conflicted are the parts that feel disconnected and therefore they have to take their own control. So here is where we learn about a different type of control. There's two types of control. There's control in a good way. You want to be in control of your car. That's a good thing. Unless you buy the car where you don't have to be in control of your car. But Ezer Hashem, in a few years you'll be able to afford it or you can afford it now already. But if you're not driving such a car, please keep your hands on the steering wheel. And as your teacher told you, both hands on the steering wheel and control your car. Don't say, I just give it up. Hashem, you take care of my car. In driving the inner car of life, though, in driving the inner car of life, the need for control is really coming from a place of loneliness. Sometimes you'll see people who are control freaks. Why are they such control freaks? Why? They're afraid to give up and to seed. That's the word seed, right? Seed? C-E-D? They're afraid to seed even the smallest, give up, the smallest territory, right? Why? Seed, like surrender. 
Because if I'm not going to control everything in my house, everything in the event, it's like I'm going to lose it. Why? Why do I feel so insecure? And the answer probably is I suffer from attachment wounds. I don't feel I have anything that's mine. And therefore I have to be in control of everything. Somebody disagrees with me, I go crazy. I can't deal with otherness because I'm always protecting. And whenever you're always protecting yourself, it's very, very hard to deal with somebody who has a different opinion, who has different emotions, who has different experience. To be in a real relationship, you have to be secure. You have to be confident. You have to be able to listen. You have to be able to open yourself up to something else. But if not... If from day one, maybe when I was a young child, I was afraid that if I'm exposed, if I'm vulnerable, somebody's going to put a dagger in my chest, chas v'shalom, I'm never going to allow that. And giving up control is vulnerability. I can't be vulnerable. Sorry. I need to control my house. I need to control my family. I need to control the chasana. I need to control the shalabrachas. I certainly have to control my spouse, my in-laws. I have to control everybody who knows me and comes within four cubits of my life. But what happens if I can go to a place where I'm not lonely? If I can really heal that by opening myself up to my internal dveikas with Hashem, so now all the desires in me really become about one real desire. And the desire is, I want true attachment. I want true connection. I want true connection with myself. I want true connection with my true self, with Hashem. That's what I really, really, really want. That's the ultimate rotsan. So now, I don't get fixed up on anything that's an escape anything that's a distraction. Whatever I want, I always tune into the fact I'm looking for the truth of it. I'm looking for the connection inside of it to Hashem. It says, then there's no pushback. Then there's nobody pushing back at you. Because every other desire that comes your way, every other thing that opposes you is also part of that connection. It's also part of that relationship. It's also part of that awareness. Is it clear what I'm saying or it's a little too abstract? Huh? Huh? It's a bit too abstract? Okay. <laughs> yeah, but what does letting go look like? Letting go, right? If I'm angry, what does letting go look like? Yitzchak was deceived by his wife and by his son, two of the closest people to him who he trusted. You're supposed to be able to trust your wife, trust your husband, right? If somebody is feeling really, really angry, that's a, that's a real feeling. So m- m- people will say, oh, I shouldn't really feel angry. It's nothing. That's not really, that's not true, right? So what happens? They repress the anger. Or they get angry at themselves that they're angry. Or they make believe, I'm not angry, sepasnish. I don't get angry, right? You give yourself a hundred lectures, and it says, in Musi, you shouldn't get angry, and you have to have midas toivus. I'm not angry. I'm not angry. Why do you think I'm angry? You ever heard that from anybody? Oh, you're not angry? No, I'm not angry! <laughs> I once heard somebody speaking and he gave a script. The words of the wise are, you know, are spoken lightly. A lawyer once told me when he was in law school, his professor told him, when you're in the courtroom, if the law is on your side, you pound the law. If emotions are on your side, you pound emotions. And what if nothing is on your side? He says, just yell and pound. Just scream. Just pound, yeah, pound. Khrushchev in the UN, you remember... Ah, he took his shoe off and he started, so it became a legend. The Khrushchev, the communist from Soviet Union, he pounded with his shoe in the UN, so he garnered attention. So it's very easy to tell myself, oh, I'm not angry, you shouldn't be angry, with explanations. But that's all really skirting around, it's really beating around the bush. But there's a deep conflict in me, and then it creates anxiety. But there's something much more authentic, and that is, inside that anger, 
or inside that hurt, or inside that pain, or inside that frustration, even inside that hate and that vengeance. There's something there. There's a rotzen. There's a rotzen Hashem Yisbarach, meaning there's something here, an opportunity to learn about what your anger is protecting. Work through the anger that it could become, your emotions could become a lavush for your holy neshama, rather than a shell and a protector that blocks your soul. Yitzchak, by the Akedah, he was a worked-through person, that he or she, in every opportunity, was open. So instead of now getting angry at Rivka and becoming more alienated from each other, what would Yitzchak teach us to do? Yitzchak would teach us to be able to open myself up to what was really, really happening here. And what I experienced, and what Rivka experienced, and then they could become even closer. And you see they became closer, because right after that, Rivka tells Yitzchak, I really don't like Yaakov getting a shidduch from this place, please send him away to get a shidduch. And instead of Yitzchak telling Rivka, you do it, you seem to be running this house anyway, you tell Rivka to get a shidduch, right? You know the passive-aggressive response? Like, oh, suddenly me, I'm in charge of this house? Really? Rivka, you're independent. Yitzchak is for sure. It's like the best communication ever. She tells him what to do, and he's like, go ahead. He calls in Yaakov. It's not a good place for a shidduch. Go to your uncle Lovan, right? Last thing you would think he would want to do, you know, send him back to Rivka's family. But because Yitzchak, there was so much peace inside, there was so much communication, there was a relationship with all the parts. There was always the connecting every part to Dveikas, to infinity. Never getting stuck in the external reality, but really having the courage to be able to say, what is Hashem teaching me right now in this moment? And can I find my Dveikas here? And can I see how this very experience, which seems to oppose me, is really not opposing me? If Yitzchak would live in a particular framework so then, Rivka is his greatest enemy. I wanted to give the blessings to Esav, and she snatched those blessings and got Yaakov to get those blessings. So now my own family is fighting me, my wife and my son. But by the Akedah, what did Yitzchak do at that moment? He elevated his or her entire being to become a conduit for Hashem. So now all of my emotions, all of my experiences, I want to search and see where they're really looking for that oneness with Hashem. Now they may be wounded, and if they may be wounded, they may express themselves in different ways. That's what it means to be misakin those parts, to be able to allow them to be a lavush, a container for the divinity inside of you. Every emotion could be a container for the divinity inside of you if you're not afraid of it. And if you're ready to let it make you grow and challenge you to find your deeper attachment with Ein Saif, with infinity. Every single emotion. But don't be afraid of it. Don't, need, don't feel you need to amputate it. Allow there to be peace. So because Yitzchak was in that place, so now when the blessings came to Yaakov, Yitzchak didn't say, I'm a cursed person. I have a wife who wants to kill me. You know when people give those verdicts? I'm in a miserable marriage. What is that? What just happened? What just happened is, I became stuck in the interpretation of what my life looks like. I became stuck. What if I could be curious? Let's say your child says something to you. Or you see something about your child, you find something. And you know when you start having the self-pity, which feels very good. I failed. I'm miserable. My family life is over. I'm the worst mother who ever lived. Oh, I'm the best mother, but they have the worst father who ever lived. 
wherever your mind goes, whether you go into self-ridicule or other ridicule, everybody has different coping mechanisms. But I get stuck in a story, and this is the end, and it's over, and it's finished. It's, why do we do it? Because we want control. <laughs> I want to be able to say, okay, this is it. I'm a loser. I'm miserable. Baruch Hashem. At least I know what's to be. I have no expectations anymore, and now I'm in a bad mood, and I'm happy. Let me just go to sleep. Or go eat cheesecake. I'm talking about me. I wouldn't suspect anybody here. It, it, it almost seems like you're sober. I'm not. I'm really in a very deep place of fear. <laughs> what if I could be curious? Curious. What am I feeling now? What just happened inside of me? And suddenly you'll realize, I'll realize that I'm stuck. I have a certain version of reality. A certain version of who my spouse is, of who my child is, of who I am, of who life is. And I can't get out of that. And now when I'm seeing something that shocks me, when I'm seeing something that's taking away my control, I create a new story that keeps me still stuck and angry. But Yitzchak says, whoa, maybe all your plans were just limited plans. And maybe the Rabbi Nishlelem is opening you up to a whole different perspective. Maybe this is an opportunity for emancipation. Maybe this is an opportunity for letting go. Maybe an opportunity for learning new things about your children, new things about your family, new things about your spouse. Maybe this is really, really an opportunity to be able to be curious and see what is the opportunity here for growth, for deeper relationships, for deeper attachment. This is a form of mysterious nefesh because it's giving up the comfort zone. It's giving up what I'm familiar with. It's also, I wanted to say neurotically, but I want to say neurologically, we have neural pathways where we go to. This is where I go to. This is the highway I go to. And suddenly my highway is filled with kakim. Traffic, I can't get through. So what do I do? So you know you beep for an hour. You know the people that beep? They beep at the GW. They beep. Then you finish beeping, right? And still nobody moved. So now you get angry at New York City. You get angry at the President of the United States of America. Right? A whole country is going down the drain. You're moving to Canada tomorrow. Or at least Florida. Or better Israel. You know Ramat Beit Shemesh or wherever. Kivat Zev. Wherever you'll find your apartment. Bezer Hashem. So, uh, what, what, just, what just happened? These are my neural pathways. I'm not going away from them. But Yitzchak says, I can open up my brain to something much larger than what I understand, what I could control, what I can grasp. And I could say, you know what? Let me be very curious. Let me find out what's the Ratz and Hashem here. What's the deeper calling here? What's the deeper level of awareness that I can come to? how I can embrace this. And then you don't even have to get angry with your anger. You can cuddle it, and you can understand what it's really looking for. And then you could say, Gam There's a special blessing in what just happened. The special blessing in what just happened is that the Rebbeinu Shalom allowed me to really connect with what is my ultimate calling, my ultimate mission, my ultimate opportunity, and my ultimate gift. So let's summarize the point in a more simplified fashion. What this Fasemis is teaching us based on this Madrash is as follows. There's two ways of living. One way I can approach life is, I have different desires. I want this and I want that and I want that and have these expectations and these cravings and these appetites and these inclinations and these proclivities, which is all part of the human condition. But that comes with a lot of disappointment and a lot of anxiety and a lot of frustration. Because so many things turn out very, very different 
than the way I wanted and the, my dreams and my expectations. And I encounter disappointment. And sometimes it's more than disappointment. It's complete heartbreak. But there's another way of approaching life. And this is what the Medrash is teaching us. This, for this, I need to really work on myself. And this takes a schus, which is also from the word zach, which means I need to be able to refine my character. And this is the approach that Yitzchak teaches us and Yitzchak personifies and embodies. And that is that ultimately what I'm looking for is I'm looking for one Ratzon. I'm looking for true alignment with Hashem's desire, which is my truest and innermost core. I'm looking for my desires to be aligned with the with the ultimate desire, the desire that is behind all of consciousness, behind all of reality, the desire that is the fuel, it's the gasoline, it's the oxygen, it's the energy, it's, 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 it's the core of consciousness, it's the divine desire, it's the Ratzon Hashem. And that desire is in everything, it's in reality. So whatever comes up, whatever happens, how do I know this is the will of Hashem? And the answer is, because this is what happened, this is reality. So now there is peace. Because even if I was following one trajectory, but suddenly things turn out differently, Yitzhak Avinu teaches me, I could say, Gam When I allow my desire to be flexible and pliable, I allow myself to stretch, I realize that I'm not going to get stuck in the specific way that things have to look and things have to turn out. Maybe things will turn out very differently than I originally imagined or expected. But if they turn out differently, if I'm now facing a reality that shocks me and maybe overwhelms me, but if I'm in tune with the fact that ultimately there is one Ratzin in me and that's behind all of the desires and that is to be aligned with my true ultimate desire and ultimate Ratzin, which is Ratzin Hashem, then there's Shalom, then there's peace. Then I embrace everything with an element of peace, an element of appreciation and gratitude and serenity and tranquility. For this, I have to be able to stretch and I have to be able to be open, be able to be open to that which my brain does not need to control and wrap itself around. The ability to be able to say, Gam And when I say, I can accept that Hashem's will is in everything. That's what he says, there's ruts in Hashem, So yeah, I had one plan for the day, but now the plan is completely changing. But there's Hashem's will in this reality, in this new reality. I had one perspective of how things have to work out. But now there's a completely different reality. Can I open myself up and instead of pushback and, and, and fighting everything and, and getting angry and now feeling guilty and I'm creating this anxiety inside of myself. There's peace. There's no pushback. Because whatever the reality that I'm facing, this is, there's Hashem's purpose here. There's, there's meaning here. This is my mission. This is my opportunity. This is the opportunity for me to become the person I'm supposed to become, to fulfill the mission that I'm supposed to fulfill. So Yitzchak could say, And here it's important to emphasize something that we often can easily bypass and miss the point. And that is why I often say, okay, I'm going to open myself up to the fact that this is God's will outside of me. There's something outside of me that's God's will. But whatever is happening inside of me is also part of Ratzon Hashem. So the fact that I'm feeling this pain and this frustration and I'm getting overwhelmed, there's meaning there too. There's light there too. There's purpose there too. There's a blessing there too. It doesn't mean it's easy, but I can process it. I can look at it. I can open myself up to it. This too is part of the Ratzon. 
This too is going to bring me to the places I have to go. This too is going to allow me to fulfill my mission. This creates a certain inner equilibrium, an inner shalom, and that is always the container for profound blessings. And that's the reason why in the opening of Shemin I mentioned earlier, we say, Hashem, Hashem, open my lips and let my mouth utter your praises. We should always say that, right? Right in the morning, we should say it. You wake up in the morning, you say, Hashem, it's before Shemayin Asra. In Shemayin Asra, we ask Hashem for so many different things. I want wisdom, and I want health, and I want serenity, and I want prosperity, and I want redemption, and I want the end of pain, and I want wickedness should uh, be eliminated from our world. We ask for individual requests, we ask for collective requests, we ask for repentance and for forgiveness and for the end of our suffering and for, for, for emotional and physical health. We ask for blessings in our grain and in our bank accounts. All the blessings, all the things we ask for in Shemayin Hasra. But before that we say, Hashem, Hashem, you open my lips. Essentially allow my lips to be opened by you so that my words are your words. My words are a conduit for you. The great mystics explain my mouth should be a conduit. Yagid, also from the word gid, like an artery, a vein through which the blood flows. Through which your praise flows. In other words, my mouth essentially is a conduit for you. I am your mouthpiece, like it says by Moshe. He's Hashem's mouthpiece. So everything I'm asking for, it's not I want, I want. Essentially, you are a part, you're a manifestation of Hashem in this world. So if this is your need, it's also Hashem's need. It's Hashem's desire. That you should be healthy, that you should be wise, that you should be filled with vigor and stamina and tranquility and redemptive consciousness. This is Kivayachal Hashem's need, Hashem's desire, because you are a Shailakalikamimal. You are part of Hashem. You are Hashem's messenger in this world, as we always explain and we always discuss. So it's not just your personal need detached from the Rebbeinu Shalom. You're turning to Hashem in heaven and say, please fill my bank account with money. It's much deeper than that. Before davening, davka before Shemayin which is the deepest part of davening, that's when there's complete oneness and dveikas between you and the Ein between you and Hashem. That's when you tell Hashem, now you open my lips. You're opening my lips. It's like my lips are being opened by you. My words are just flowing from you. I am aligned with you. This is your ultimate desire. Because the ultimate desire of Hashem is that we should be able to make this world into a beautiful place and a place filled with blessings and light and redemptiveness. So this is what Yitzchak teaches us. Gam when I have this chus, I can literally give up control over what things have to look like. I can allow myself to be able to get in touch with my ultimate ratzen, the ratzen that is behind all of my ratzenas, all of my desires, which is dveikos. And when it feels not that way, when my desires feel so conflicted, that too, that too is part of Hashem's desire. That too can be brought into my peace. That too is part of my mission. That too is part of my purpose. That too is going to bring me to the place where I need to go. Have a wonderful and beautiful week. This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.